Welcome to AI Arthritis Voices 360, the podcast solving today's most pressing issues in the AI arthritis community. We invite you all to the table where together we face the daily challenges of autoimmune and autoinflammatory arthritis. Every Sunday, join Tiffany and her fellow patient co-hosts as they lead discussions in the patient community as well as consult with stakeholders worldwide to solve the problems that matter most. Whether you are a loved one, a professional working in the field, or a person diagnosed with an AI arthritis disease, this podcast is for you. So pull up a chair and take a seat at the table. everyone and welcome to AI Arthritis Voices 360, the podcast for the International Foundation for Autoimmune and Autoinflammatory Arthritis, IFAA for short, because that's long. Um, this is Tiffany and I am your host and I've got a couple co-hosts with me here today. We've got somebody who volunteers often with us and you may have heard her on a few podcasts already, depending on when we air this one. <laughs> <laughs> so I have Miss Deb. Deb, if you'd like everybody. to say and uh, Deb is a person living with rheumatoid arthritis, and I have non-radiographic axial spondylitis. And we also have another person here that is a co-host with us today, Miss Mariah Leach. So if you'd like to hello, say hello, everyone. Hello. Um, and we are going to talk today about uh, motherhood, yeah. <laughs> about specifically uh, pregnancy and what what. Uh, the decisions that mothers and families, not just mother, not uh, families, because right. because because daddies are involved too. Absolutely, right? yes, they are. <laughs> um, they doctor conversations. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, well, you know, she's that's like, true. Well, You're absolutely right. Good point. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so we're gonna we're gonna that's gonna be our topic today, and uh, really focusing on the pressure from society on doing the right things. There's so many things we could talk about. I mean, we sat there and talked forever. It seemed like yesterday. Yes, we did. <laughs> and we said, oh my gosh, Mariah, we have to get her because she's yeah. amazing. Um, yes. and, and we know that, that, uh, that that's some, a topic that's going to be really important to everyone at home. And before I turn this over, I wanted Mariah to do a little introduction um, just to, to give you at listening and an overview of, of what our takeaways or what we're looking to do today. All of the podcasts that we do at, at uh, AI Arthritis Th Voices 360 are based on our mission as a nonprofit to bring all voices to the table. So there's either one of two categories that typically happen. We will be patients, people living with these diseases or affected by these diseases who have conversations to identify some gaps and identify some problems. Mm -hmm. And then we also are, once we have identified some problems, then we talk more. <laughs> we, we just keep on talking and we bring all of you again back to the table. And that time it's some it's with other stakeholders that can help us uh, with the solutions to the mm -hmm. problems. So mm -hmm. um, we're a little bridge of both, I think, today. I think we have. Think. Definitely. Um, so oh, definitely. Yeah. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to uh, I'd like Mariah to just tell us a little bit about herself and uh, how this topic is relevant. Sure. So um, I was diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis when I was 25 years old. I was right in the middle of law school at the time. So it was it was a difficult transition to that diagnosis. Um, but I think the way my diagnosis has affected me the most has been in the process of starting a family. I knew without a shadow of a doubt that I wanted to be a mom and I wanted to have a family. And so 
for me, it was a matter of figuring out how to manage my disease so that I could achieve that goal. And at this point, I've now had three pregnancies since my diagnosis. My sons are seven and five, and my daughter is almost two. So I have a lot of experience. I, pictures <laughs> may be provided. <laughs> They're pretty cute. So um, <clears throat> I have a lot of experience as, as a mom with a chronic illness. But uh, for me, when I started down this path, there were no resources. I mean, there was a lot less social media and blogging at the time just in general, but I was super desperate just to hear from other women who had become moms with a chronic illness and survived and managed mm -hmm. or hopefully even thrived, mm -hmm. um, but I couldn't find anybody. So I started telling my own story and that's what led me to develop uh, Mamas Facing Forward, which is a website, mamasfacingforward.com and also a support group on Facebook that is private and closed. Uh, so that moms have a place to, a one-stop shop for all the resources I can find that are related to pregnancy, breastfeeding, motherhood, parenting with chronic illness, and also a forum where they can connect with other women from all over the world, but who are experiencing the same pieces of motherhood um, that are unique to being a mom with a chronic illness. So your website is global? Yes. Well, um, I don't think I picked up on that. That's awesome. Okay, In cool. the group, we've got we've got moms from all over the world. Um, That's awesome. Every once in a okay. while, I put up a map, and we all put pins down, and it's oh, really I exciting to see I all over the world. I tried to do that in my uh, my home office. Yeah. Uh, not so much work. I need to take some tips. Maybe I need to check out your, take some tips from you. It's pretty, cool. It's pretty yeah. cool because you, you don't think, you know, that you have a lot necessarily in common with a mom living in Australia or I think there's some moms in South Africa and like mm -hmm. but you do that if you're really if cool. you're a, you're facing parenthood with this added challenge of a chronic illness yeah that's really that's really interesting and, yeah. and um just out of curiosity since our and, and the answer might be I have no idea and that's fine too yeah. um, <laughs> I just you know, we're just having conversation here and with our topic being um pressure from society to do all the all, all the right things is do you ever see in your group um from these different countries that there might be country specific um, challenges? I don't have a lot of information on that, but certainly like with healthcare systems being different oh, in oh, different yes. countries, people are approaching challenges in different ways in different places when it comes to at least the medical aspect of it. That makes sense. That Good makes point. sense. And that actually ties us right into talking about um, something that we, we brought up yesterday. And, oh, I forgot to mention, hello, we are live at the, yes. <laughs> we are sitting Where talking. Are we? <laughs> if you're like, what's all that noise um, back there? We are at the Marin College of Rheumatology uh, scientific meeting. So this is part of the touring aspect of the podcast. And, and we're in Atlanta, Georgia. We are in Atlanta, yeah. Georgia. And, um, and one of the things that we were talking about yesterday, and I know Mariah, you You've attended some sessions as well and doing this right thing really falls around medications and treatments and how do I manage my pregnancy or post-pregnancy and um and that that also just kind of leads us right in so yeah I, we'd love to hear more about uh, just that whole aspect and your thoughts on that and mm -hmm. well I think there's a lot of pressure from society just in general and probably worldwide that uh no medications are is always the best choice when you're pregnant. Right. That for the sake of the baby, there's this sort of feeling that mom should sacrifice herself and do what's best for the baby. Mm -hmm. And I think that's sort of a dangerous pressure because not only is that not true for the mom, like the mom doesn't need to sacrifice her own health to become a mom. Right. But also it's not always safe for the baby for a mom to have 
inflammatory disease, the inflammation can be just as dangerous to See, the baby. When I had a baby as the risks. 20 plus years ago, um, my son's almost 21 now. The choice was to go off everything mm-hmm. and um, to even have and it wasn't good because I didn't go into remission. I didn't do any of that kind of stuff. And um, huge flares during the whole thing, taking care of my son, even after right. with breastfeeding and then trying for the second child. And again, going back to my rheumatologist and him basically saying, you're not well enough to get pregnant right. and you need to go back on your meds. So, so it was that's game over. One of the really exciting things about being here at this conference I this year that. is that the, the options for women have changed dramatically because the data is improving dramatically. I and so that. a lot of the sessions here are going through which medications are safe to be on when you're pregnant or right. which ones are compatible with breastfeeding. And so even in my own personal experience, the options I was given, you know, seven years ago, eight years ago with my first pregnancy mm-hmm. were completely different than the ones that I had with my third pregnancy only a few years later. So it's super exciting to be here and to see there being more attention, being paid to this important topic, not only in terms of which medications to take, but how to counsel patients through this life change. I mean, it's a very significant change in your life. And Absolutely. if you live with a chronic illness, you have to take that piece into account when you make this change. That's really interesting uh, to think about that, how things have evolved. Mm-hmm over the last few years. So, you know, somebody myself, I am not a person that um, has children and I'm listening to this thinking, I don't think I would have even realized how, how complicated, how, well, not complicated, but how the information that I could learn if I, if it was time to start planning Mm -hmm. that is out there and that's different. So instead of just asking somebody that has had experience 10 years ago, knowing that there's groups like your, yours, Mariah, mm-hmm. where there's people who are going through this right now mm-hmm. and understanding even different challenges and having patient representatives like yourself. You're here with the Arthritis yes, Foundation, Yes, I'm also correct? an Arthritis Foundation partner, and this is a, a topic that they're starting to give some more resources to as well because it's a very important topic. And yeah, we are, we, we love the Arthritis Foundation. They are uh, some of our, our friends as well. And, and so it's just seeing that being able for you and, and the Arthritis Foundation and other, these other organizations to be able to bring representatives here, see what's happening mm-hmm. firsthand and bring it back to your group and kind of start the discussion there, I think is I absolutely think it's, amazing. Uh, not just exciting for patients, but also there, this conference is full of rheumatologists and a lot of rheumatologists has been, have been practicing as long as since when Deb mm-hmm, was pregnant mm-hmm. and those doctors need to be brought up to speed on the current exactly. options because That's I come point. across women all the time who are saying, yeah, my doctor said there's nothing safe for me to be on and I'm scared to go off all my meds and what do I do? I really want to have a baby. Mm-hmm. And there's lots of doctors out there who are just misinformed. They need, so I'm excited to see this year at ACR, I've this is my sixth ACR, and in the past, I've seen maybe one or two sessions focusing on reproductive issues, breastfeeding, fertility. But um, this year, I've there's five or six. It's all over. There's like 20 posters. I went to a session yesterday that had six abstracts that focused on reproductive issues. It's really picking up, and I'm hoping that the doctors in attendance and the doctors who are you know reading about the conference all over mm-hmm. the world are are catching up. Mm-hmm. What specific, one of the things, what we were talking about yesterday, we were, we were mentioning, um, the whole planning, 
you were talking about planning and the importance of planning. Pregnancy plan. Didn't mm. you say that? Is yeah. That, yeah. I mean, well, I yeah, think, that would pregnancy I, plan. I, you <laughs> know, you, we talked yesterday about how people have a birth plan and they yep. decide like how they want to have their baby. Well, if you're living with a chronic illness, what you really need is a pregnancy plan. You got to yes. start way farther back than than the birth. Well, hopefully you mm -hmm. do. I mean, that's what would that's what brings about there's actually research that shows that's what brings about the best outcome for mom and baby. Mm -hmm. If you're living with a chronic illness, you want to have your disease as controlled as possible before you try to conceive. Mm -hmm. There's some medications that are absolute no-nos mm -hmm. with pregnancy. Methotrexate is one of them mm -hmm. because that's a it's an abortive um, medication. Mm -hmm. Uh, but there's so you got to talk to your doctor and you got to find out which medications are you on that you may need to stop before trying to get pregnant and how and long to be how off long yes, do you need to be I off them that. before it's safe and also like which medications do you, might you want to consider using during pregnancy or keeping you know on the back burner in case you flare during pregnancy because um depending on the condition that mm -hmm. we're talking about some women experience remission during mm -hmm. pregnancy. They feel mm -hmm. better while they're pregnant. I have met those magical women. And like, <laughs> I certainly wish I had been one. Because and I wasn't I, one like, either. <laughs> goodness, because being pregnant is a lot. And then if yeah. you have a disease flare on top of that, that's even more. So yeah. the importance of having a plan in place before you get pregnant with your doctor so you know what you're going to do if you fall on the unlucky side of the spectrum, uh, I think is is utmost. You have to do that. And in order to do that, doctors have to be open to having this conversation with you. They Great have point. to, you know, they have to say, are you interested in becoming pregnant? And like, let's talk about it and let's have, let's figure out a path that might lead you there safely. Um, you mentioned something yesterday too. Um, what was the, the question that we thought they wouldn't get the honest answer. That was so. In one of the sessions I attended, okay. uh, Doctor Megan Klaus was cl close. Was um, she was saying that if you, if a doctor asks the question, you're still taking your birth control, right? What's the patient going to answer to that? They're going to answer, "Yep, sure am," because the implication there is that's what you're supposed to be doing, and you're doing it, aren't you? But if that patient is someone who's interested in not taking her birth control and becoming pregnant. Is, is that patient going to feel empowered to say, actually, doctor, no, I'm not taking my birth control. I'm trying to get pregnant. Or is that patient going to go and do whatever they want without their doctor's help and assistance? And I, I think the concern in that session was that there would be a lot of patients in that situation who would just do what they want and then show up pregnant a few months later and try to figure out what to do from there. Catch and, up. <laughs> yeah, which is fine if that happens. Like if you get pregnant accidentally, it's not the end of the world. Like Correct. your doctor can help you figure out what to do. But ideally with a chronic illness, you'd want to have a plan in advance. And so she was encouraging the doctors in the room to ask a more open-ended question. Do you, would you like to get pregnant in the next year, for example? And then if the person says no, then you can talk about contraception and ways to avoid pregnancy. And if the person says yes, then you can say about, let's evaluate your disease state. Let's figure out what the next step is so that this could become a reality for mm -hmm. you. Great point. It, let's talk more about this pregnancy plan <laughs> because I think that it's, it's important. It's so important. Mm -hmm. And just kind of circling to the whole idea of pregnancy in general and, mm -hmm. and conversations that, that moms have, what, what other things should be on that pregnancy plan list? Well, I think, um, I mean, with your doctor, certainly you want to have a treatment plan in place. Mm -hmm. So if you want to see if you're one of those magical women who goes into remission, like 
you definitely can, but I recommend having a treatment plan in place. If you want to try to have a med-free pregnancy and it works out, that's fantastic. But I recommend having a treatment plan in place based on my own experience during my second pregnancy. So during my first pregnancy, I had no treatment options. So I was med-free. During my second pregnancy, I assumed I would also do the same thing. And I didn't do that well during my first pregnancy, but I muddled through. So I was like, I can, I can do that again. Mm-hmm. But instead what happened was I flared terribly to the point where I could not take care of my toddler. I could not take care mm-hmm. of myself. Mm-hmm. I was in my third trimester and like barely functional. And we started getting concerned about how the inflammation was affecting the baby. Mm-hmm. So then mm-hmm. I had to make a decision about taking a medication while pregnant, while pregnant. And I had to do that research while hormonal and enormous and miserable. Um, And so if there's one thing that I could stress, it would be even if you think you don't want to use any meds during your pregnancy, think about which ones you might potentially maybe be okay with Mm -hmm. in a dire situation like that. Um, That's what that's what I think is important. What you just said, because planning is not just planning what you think planning for all right you don't have options. to love that option you can you can be <laughs> backup plan. not cool with it that is a option backup plan. That's a but great you want to yeah. have it on yeah. the table and you want to be able to make that decision when you aren't so vulnerable like mm-hmm. I was in such a vulnerable well, state emotional too right. I mean it's a terrible time to be making that. oh absolutely so that's one of the reasons I think really important in your pregnancy plan to have that in advance um also having uh support during pregnancy uh if you're a first-time mom, sometimes it's a little easier, but if you're a second-time mom, you might want to have some backup plans for help with your other kids in case you struggle during pregnancy. And the other thing is, you know, we talk about, we said a birth plan. Well, you need a pre-plan. Uh, people with chronic conditions usually need a post-plan as oh, well, yeah. a postpartum plan, mm-hmm. um, because many of these rheumatic conditions will flare terribly after birth, mm-hmm. like, like clockwork a few yep. weeks later. Um, that's been the experience of almost everybody I've talked to. Yep, really. And so yep, me too. That the newborn period is hard for absolutely anyone. Like yep. you're exhausted, you're not sleeping. If you're breastfeeding, you're achy, you're up all the time. If you're dealing with chronic illness on top of that, you need a plan. You need support. You need meals in the freezer. You need <laughs> help. Yeah, back, you just yeah need, your backup you need meals. a plan. Yep. Um, so I think the best thing you can do if you're interested in being a parent with a chronic illness is to ha- to plan it as thoroughly as you can. And how does this all tie in uh, with this this planning to the the pressure from society to be doing the right thing? Everybody's got advice about everything. <laughs> sure and do. anybody it's who's constant. yes, and anybody who's a mom, or if you're if they see you, I mean, they can judge you on how you're holding your child. Mm-hmm. Again, many of our rheumatic diseases. Um, are invisible. Mm-hmm. So people can't see that you're suffering and how you're holding your child or not holding your child. Mm-hmm. You know, all of those judgments and it's perceived judgment because you see it in people's faces or they'll come right out and say something. Yeah. And they'll if, be right in your face. If you listen to everyone, oh. you will go crazy because <laughs> yes. it, it, there's so much conflicting advice and it can be really hard to figure out what to do. I mean, I think yep. any mom faces a ton of conflicting advice and it can be hard to figure out what to do. And so you have to be more sure of yourself and able to advocate for your own needs and your own differences as a mom facing her own health challenges. Absolutely. Um, So you have to, you have to 
not always cave to that pressure, which is not easy to do. No, because you're emotional then, too. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you could have, be having a crying baby and, I mean, making me want to cry mm -hmm. as I'm holding my crying baby. You know, that kind of thing, too. And it is. It's... I mean, or there's always going to be someone who's like, oh, well, it's not good for the baby for you to take medications. I was just going to ask that question. this if, ginger if you tea or whatever or it is. Cherry so did you, right. Mariah, experience certainly. judgment? So, I mean, certainly. I, I, I actually I, truly think every single mother out there yes, has I think been that's judged. Definitely Even true. like family members. Because, mm -hmm. I mean, no. not only is it society, well, but it can be family and members. And sometimes yeah. it's well-meaning, oh, even. Oh, I'm, um, most of it is. But that doesn't make is. it easy <laughs> to, to digest as a mom. For example, this is not something that most women have to go through today um, because today there's a lot of options for breastfeeding treatment that is breastfeeding friendly. But for example, my first, I had to stop breastfeeding him at three months old so that uh, I could go back on some medications because I was flaring postpartum terribly. And I, I, it was a heartbreaking decision for me. It wasn't what I wanted as right. a mom. It right. was a, a, I felt like I was losing a bond with him. And not to mention that as a first time mom, all your children do is eat and sleep and poop. So yep. you, you think all that motherhood right. is, is feeding them. And you, feeling that failure. Right. And so in your own mind, I remember going out with him after I switched him to formula and feeling like I was going to these moms groups that were supposed to be supportive mm -hmm. and instead getting dagger glares that I was mixing up formula to feed to my baby. Um, mm -hmm. And that's hard to handle as a new mom. Oh, or yeah. I went to a, a new mom support group and once and opened up about the troubles I was facing as a mom with my RA flaring and mm -hmm. obviously no one in the group understood, but I, I opened up anyways because I didn't, I didn't have anywhere to turn at the time. There mm -hmm. wasn't a resource like mine that could connect me to another mom. So I opened up in this group and after the group, a mom took me aside and asked for my contact info. And I thought, great, like here's a mom. I'm going to make a new mom friend. We're going to go get coffee with our babies. It's going to be great. And instead, <laughs> she wanted my contact info so she could send me some holistic RA uh, cure that she thought I should be trying. And I just felt crushed that I had been vulnerable and opened up in this really vulnerable time for me. And instead of getting support, I got judgment. Yeah. Yeah, I, I can understand that. What so, so it seems like in the social circles mm -hmm. and maybe even family. Or, I or I think family are, as well. That there are um, some some judgment, but it's not so much in the doctors, right? It's or, some. Or it? I mean, I, there are definitely be. rheumatologists out there. I just encountered a woman this morning who was telling me that she took information from uh, Mother to Baby, which is a uh, organization that collects data on the safety of medications in pregnancy and breastfeeding. Mm -hmm. She took information that she learned about in my group to her doctor and said, look what this data says. This medication is supposed to be safe. Uh, like, can we consider it? And her doctor basically said, nope, like, I'm not going to look at that. I'm going to tell you, you can't use it. Um, and so I think there, I think there mm -hmm. are doctors out there who haven't looked at the new information and, aren't giving or patients. a resource that actually is, um, <clears throat> again, um, a scientific resource. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Correct. So like the scientific pieces, because again, it's where does their research, do you remember where their research comes from? A mother um, to baby. Yeah. Well, they can, they conduct studies okay. about, um, yep. you can't do any clinical trials on pregnant women. That's correct. not okay. Yeah. Right. But, <laughs> uh, you can collect 
observational data. So mm -hmm. I've actually been in two mother to baby studies myself. And it's it's an easy thing to do. Basically, I took medications during my second pregnancy and my third pregnancy. And mm -hmm. so I signed up for their study and I filled out some forms and I did some interviews and I released my medical records to them. And that way, oh. my data contributes to their data, which contributes to giving more treatment options to moms down the line. So it's a really cool mm. way to... Um, That's actually really cool. It's, it's, I mean, to actually even get you get all of the medical records and all those different pieces. That's actually right. really and it's important. A, it's a real minimal commitment for mm -hmm. the mom. In some cases, like with my second, they came in into my home and did a quick uh, exam of my newborn. Mm. But it, it's an easy way to, to contribute to, so that moms have more information down the line. And hopefully the more information there is, more doctors will start um, knowing what what the treatment options are and giving women the options that they deserve to have since they mm -hmm. now exist. Mm -hmm. That's, that's a great circle back. Cause I had a follow-up question when, when, um, when you were taught, we were talking about the doctors, what could, what do you guys think? I mean, as people who have dealt with this, mm -hmm. what, what advice, if any, do you have for patients? If they do come across, they do have a doctor that maybe isn't a, on page with their, idea of their planning because we all know it's very difficult to find oh yeah a new mm -hmm. a new doctor well, and another a new problem you know. that occurs in this in the, when you're talking about pregnancy is sometimes the rheumatologist will say one thing and the ob will say another thing and they don't agree and the patient is left in the middle advice. trying to figure out what on earth to do um and that can be a real challenge too uh, it's it's a challenge i think to to well, make sure yeah. that you that's where the pl we go back to the planning. Find a doctor who's on board with you from the beginning if you can. So if there's any rheumatologists or other doctors out there that uh, would like to be more uh, conversational about this, mm -hmm. what, what would you all advise to them? I mean, I think taking your doctor like scientific information from organizations like Mother to Baby is is a way to show them that there are treatment options out there. Like, obviously I don't want a doctor to listen to like, Hey, I heard this in a Facebook group, you know, like that's <laughs> right. That's right. Obviously. Yeah. No, that's like we don't, than we don't give Google each other doctor. medical advice in our group, but right. we share information. And if there's a real quality resource out there that you can present to your doctor, um, I think that's the best way to go about figuring out what your options are. Also, for example, more of these researchers are starting to exist in that session I went to yesterday morning. Uh, it's, I think, lupuspregnancy.org. They have information for how to have this conversation with your doctor. Mm -hmm. It's That information is specific to lupus, but there's still some general questions in there about how to how to open up and have a plan with your doctor about pregnancy. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now, you mentioned the Arthritis Foundation. Has the Arthritis Foundation been, I mean, do they talk to you about yeah, like, they're creating the some new resources of, and of things? Working on more resources. They, they're, Good. they're taking these insights right now um, from patients mm -hmm. all over mm -hmm. the country, and uh, they're finding out that this is an issue of interest to patients. And so right. as a result, they're going to, I hope, develop some more specific resources for pregnancy and parenting. Um, That's great. That's another great option. So um, I think that the best outcomes for a healthy pregnancy for mom and baby come if 
the doctor and the patient can work as a team. Like collaboration is what really is really important. And that's what I've been hearing at these sessions uh, at ACR. ACR is the short version for American (laughs) College of Rheumatology annual meeting. Um, But that's what the doctors are talking about is that the best outcomes come from having a plan and, and working together. And so I would encourage patients to talk to their doctors and to have a plan and to, if their doctor is not being as, open and helpful as you might like to feel empowered to say, no, no, this is what I want because it's your life and your, you know, for many, many people, motherhood Mm -hmm. is a very important life goal and Mm -hmm. you are allowed to have that life goal and you should absolutely discuss it with your doctor to make sure that you can do it safely, but you shouldn't let your doctor say, no, you no, you don't get to have that. Mm -hmm. Um, that's interesting, yeah. Because, I mean, you even talked about some different resources and things like that um, that you can bring to the table. Definitely. I would say you bring them resources from mother to baby because that that will tell you what the appropriate treatment options are. There's data to show that some of these treatment op- options are safe during pregnancy. And, uh, and you can take that real data and you can say please, doctor, can you look at this res- these resources from mother to baby, look at these studies and tell me, uh, do I have safe treatment options? That's a great point. That's a really great point. Um, and to have these resources out there because that wasn't available 20 years ago. No, it sure wasn't. It wasn't. I had my child. Even, even so, you know, yeah, and that eight is, years ago. They, yeah. I, they've been around for a long time, but they haven't. Uh, and the new information. The new information. The data with, is improving, yeah. uh, you know, by the year. Yeah, and so it's important for doctors to be able to have a resource where they can go and um, stay up to date on what the current data says. Well, interestingly enough that we should be talking about this because we had our our lovely Laura um, with the IFA run over to the mother to baby booth as we are here at the ACR. And we're talking about this wonderful organization uh, and, and brought over uh, Lynette. Hi. So uh, if Hi. Hello. How are you? Thank you so much for having me. I'm doing really well. Enjoying the conference. Good. Well, we were actually just having a little bit of a dialogue about um, the importance of the relationship between patients and doctors. We were talking about sort of the pressure from society to do all of the right things, Mm. which is... uh, And the importance of having a plan. Yes. Crucial. And, Mm -hmm. And so we thought we would, since we only have you briefly for a few minutes, um, that you could help with knowing that our, our, the people who tune in are all different stakeholders. So definitely, um, if you could tell us a little bit about your organization. and Sure. Yeah. So Mother to Baby is a uh, U.S. national organization. We're a nonprofit. What we do is we work with providers uh, and patients of all shapes and sizes. And so what we do is we provide the most up-to-date evidence-based information on exposures during pregnancy and breastfeeding. And so those exposures can range. We get questions um, that uh, range from, can I dye my hair? Can I um, eat sushi? Can I uh, take this flu vaccine? All the way to, I have a chronic condition like rheumatoid arthritis or lupus. And um, I am currently on a treatment plan or I need to be on a treatment plan. What should I do during pregnancy? And so we get a lot of physicians who call in who are looking for resources on uh, for their patients who 
they're trying to develop the best treatment plan possible. And then we also get a lot of women who call in who are interested in learning more about what we know currently to date about the different medications that their providers are interested in putting them on. That's great. That that's that didn't exist when 20 <laughs> years ago when I had my child. Can you tell us a little bit about how you get that data? Yes. So we uh, so we are a part of an organization called the Organization of Teratology Information Specialists. See, I didn't feel comfortable saying that before. <laughs> uh, I, couldn't, I couldn't get that. Um, no, they're a fantastic organization and they're a professional society that uh, focuses on eliminating the world of preventable birth defects. And so they study exposures that cause birth defects. And they've developed this affiliate system called Mother to Baby, where uh, we have trained teratogen information specialists that have access to uh, multiple different databases that contain all of the latest research that's being done on exposures in pregnancy. And so when you contact a mother to baby information specialist, what you're doing is you're talking to somebody who has access to the most up-to-date information available on that exposure, but they're going to be able to break it down for you in a much more digestible way because I don't know if you've ever tried to read a scientific have, yes. uh, clinical trial study. It is it is not for the faint of heart. And it's unfortunate because we believe that all women uh, of every, every age, every ethnicity, every socioeconomic background should have access to this information and it should be intelligible to all of them if they're going to have to be making these decisions for themselves especially. And I was saying earlier uh, that that you also offer opportunities to join these studies and that it's a yes. easy way mm-hmm. to make sure that women in the future have better yeah. information and mm-hmm. better options. Yeah. And actually it's it's not just an easy way. It's it's the only way that we right. are able to provide information. And so if your physician is telling you a certain medication is safe or a certain medication is not recommended in pregnancy, the only way that they can do that is through our observational studies. And so they're different than traditional clinical trials where you know, you feel like a guinea pig or they're experimenting on you. Um, mm-hmm. What this is, it's observational. So uh, th- a mother to baby runs quite a few uh, pregnancy registries on all sorts of conditions. And we look at women who are taking treatment medications. We look at women who have specific diseases. Mm-hmm. And we also look at normal pregnancies. So there's an opportunity for a lot of women to get involved and aid future women and their babies during mm-hmm. this process, which is really incredible to be a part of. You might even end up helping out yourself because, you know, I joined, yeah. a, pre- I joined a study with my second pregnancy and then, you know, relied on that mm-hmm. data during making choices for my third. So, Which is beautiful. <laughs> and I think it goes to show that, like, this is not just a, you know, the, even if you feel really isolated, having a chronic illness in pregnancy, you are not alone. There are so many other women who could benefit from your experience, who can come around you. Um, The camaraderie that I see, especially through your organization of Mamas Facing Forward is just incredible. So you you mentioned something, Mariah, uh, in this in this kind of dialogue back and forth between the two of you that you participated and then you were able to come back and actually utilize the knowledge that you gained from the research they conducted in your next pregnancy. <laughs> yes. Can you elaborate a little bit on that? I mean, I, ju- I just think the data, it's, like I said earlier, is changing really fast. And I had no options with my first pregnancy, a couple options with my second pregnancy, and then lots of options with my third pregnancy. And that's because women are coming forward and agreeing to participate in these observational studies and the data grows and they can make better conclusions, you know, as the time goes on. And so, you know, we were talking about different stakeholders and 
and doctors who might be listening, you know, encourage your patients to join these studies if mm -hmm. they stay on medications. I'm always encouraging patients that I come across who are staying on medications to, mm -hmm. you know, because it's a tricky decision to decide to take a medication. Like we talked about, there's pressure from society that no medication is always better. So you have to overcome a lot to decide to stay on a medication during pregnancy. And if you do that, you should keep on going and, and give your give what could be learned from your experience yeah, to help other women. I think on that, there is a, a, a pretty large misconception, even some physicians who have this as well, which is that no treatment is safer than mm -hmm. treatment. And unfortunately, um, what you're doing is you're not acknowledging the risk of an untreated chronic illness. Right. And the reality is that there are risks involved on both sides. And so you need to be comparing those risks together and not just assuming that, well, if I completely go off all of my medication, I should be fine. Because um, as you know, Mariah, there are lots of complications that come with right. an unregulated chronic condition that might inhibit you to be able to perform your normal daily tasks of caring for no, yourself. No, we talked about how during my second pregnancy, mm. I did that and I was not fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Sadly, that. I mean, I had no drug options either, and that is exactly, it was, it, it was rough. It was really rough. And I remember even trying, to, I couldn't lift my arms up, like to put them on a changing table to lift my, pull something off of them, like a onesie or something. Because it, it's not just pregnancy we're talking about here. Absolutely. It's also the postpartum if you're breastfeeding. Mm -hmm. So you have, that's another decision a woman has to make is, are you going to take meds while breastfeeding or are you going to maybe forego breastfeeding? Um, and I was at a session yesterday where they said, you know, you don't have to forgo breastfeeding if you don't want to. You don't have to give up treatment to breastfeed because now we have right. information that there's options. Mm -hmm. And again, 20 years ago, I still stayed off my medications. Right, because you had no choice. Right, exactly. And those choices weren't there for me. So, and then when I did stop breastfeeding at about 11 months, we started the process of trying to get pregnant again. And my rheumatologist finally told me that I wasn't healthy enough to get mm -hmm. pregnant and it was time to go back on meds. So, I mean, it was kind of taken out of my hands. Yeah. And I think a lot of women understand the feeling of being forced into a situation that they are not necessarily in charge of that decision-making process. And I think more and more people are realizing that, especially in the healthcare system, you have to be your own advocate. Um, and so we're huge supporters and advocates for women having the information in their own hands, but then also having their doctors with it as well. That's so wonderful that we've actually been able to speak with two amazing people with two organizations. Um, just so happy that both of you were able to find the time to break out here and, and speak with us. Lynette, could you give us a little bit more information on where people can find information, both patients and because do doctors, sure. you give a lot. Of, yeah, we of consult resources. a lot with uh, physicians across the U.S. and Canada um, who use our services and patients were, uh, in the U.S. and Canada as well. So um, the easiest way to get a hold of us is online. We have a website and it's mother2baby.org. And you can find all sorts of information and resources on there. We have a library of over 180 fact sheets. So if you're looking for a specific exposure and information on it, you can start there. And if you can't find it there, we also have a phone number that you can call, which is 
800-888-8972. And that's a toll-free number. You can call that and you'll be put in touch with one of our trained teratogen information specialists who can guide you through uh, any information that you are looking at. We also have an online chat system and a texting number for any of those people who are more uh, fond of the phone. Okay. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. That's great. And then, Mariah, if you could remind everyone, where can they find you if they sure. want to join? Um, well, my list of resources is mamasfacingforward.com, which it, I'm trying to collect everything that I can find so that you can come to one place and find what you're looking for, not just on pregnancy and breastfeeding, but also on parenting. Like how do you entertain a two-year-old when you're flaring <laughs> or like, how do you balance? Maybe I'm trying to get some more information for single moms. I'm trying to get some more information for alternative parenthood paths uh, besides pregnancy. So uh, that's a growing resource. And then I also have a Facebook group of the same name, which is Mamas Facing Forward. It's a private closed group. I'm real strict about who can join it so that it stays a safe space where you can talk with other moms. Everyone in the group is a mom or wants to become one. And everyone in the group is living with a chronic condition. So that's wonderful. if that's that wonderful applies to you, we would love to have you and provide support. All right. Well, great. Thank you, ladies. And thank you, Deb, for also co-hosting with me as well as Mariah. And for all of you who are tuning in, again, uh, the idea of these podcasts are to bring you to the table. So we talked about a lot of topics today, and I think that we're really interested in hearing your opinions, your stories about pressure that you've experienced from society to do some of the right things. Um, what else should we be talking about? What problems do we need to solve? And who do you think it would be important to bring to the table? I, I think another co follow-up conversation to this could be some doctors, that would be some great. rheumatologists. Um, the other thing about our podcast is it is a, a fluid conversation, meaning the conversation doesn't end just because we're ending with you today. So um, look forward to, I think, a part two. That would be great. I think that that's necessary so that we can really solve the problems of tomorrow together. Thank you all for tuning in. Please check out the episodes at AIarthritis.org backslash podcast. We will have links to the resources that we shared with you today and how to find these lovely ladies. Thank you so much for joining us and thank you all for, thank being you for having here. us. <laughs>